Hi, I'm Patrick Finley. He's Jason Leisure and he's Mark Potash. Welcome to Hallis Intrigue, the Chicago Sun-Times Bears podcast. We're coming up on this episode, guys. We will talk about Justin Fields and why he threw only 11 times last game. We'll talk about the apology he gave and whether he needed to do so. And we will make our picks for Sunday's game at Soldier Field against the Texans. All that and more coming up on Hallis Intrigue. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, guys. It's a game week after a humiliating uh, defeat against the Packers. I don't know. Maybe that's a little strong. I think it is. It's a, well, it's a three-score loss to your rival, which is, uh, which is never an uplifting occasion. Would you have predicted it in April? Yes. Okay. They did exactly what we thought they would do like six months ago, and I think the victory over the 49ers kind of uh, adjusted people's thinking, uh, and this was just a correction. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point, and that's something that I'll have in the paper on Saturday. I, I think we got away when they won a game. We got away from what I think the three of us believe, which is the goal of this season, Jason, is to figure out what they have with the young players on their team and figure out who's going to be around the next time the Bears are good, and that that is not going to be this year, and it might not even be next year. It was it was wild to me at the time, Pat, to see this kind of narrative emerge that oh the Bears are on their way up after beating the 49ers in a mud bath, the Bears are on their way up and the Packers are on their way down because they lost their season opener. That was just not true. It's just not going to be the case. Everything for them needs to be about Justin Fields right now, and the the biggest problem coming out of that loss to Green Bay which just fits right on the stack of all the other losses to Green Bay, as Mark was saying. The biggest problem is that you have a game in which Justin Fields threw 11 passes. Yeah, you you need to throw more than that. If the goal of the season is to win but also develop a quarterback, maybe you could make the argument to me that winning uh, could be a result of throwing only 11 times, but I think that's rare in the modern NFL. And Potsy, you cannot make the argument that you can develop a quarterback by having him throw the ball 11 times for two reasons. Number one, he just needs that experience. And number two, the offense needs to be efficient enough to give them more than, say, 10 offensive plays in the second quarter. Yeah, I think that was the biggest problem was the offense as a whole. I mean, they talk about the 42 plays. Was that Luke Getzey mentioned that uh, that they had? Well, why they only have 40, 42 offensive plays? Was because their offense, even when they're running ball, uh, not, not very, not very good. So they have to be better. But I'll be honest, I'm not real big on the whole 11 passing until I see the next, the next, how he corrects it. He's a first-time coordinator. I don't think he thinks he did anything wrong. I think he, this is the way he he does things. And and I will say this. If, if, if Justin Fields throws 11 passes every game, it's a problem. But until we see him do it at least twice in a row, I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about but it. I think part of it, though, is that fans are just getting to know Luke Getze and what he wants to do. And the fans I know are scared to death that this is what Luke Getze is going to be like. Well, that, I, I asked Getze that today, and Getze said, no, you know, his, if anything, he wants his calling card to be find what the defense will give us and do that. This is the most awkward time of any season where – Things are very undefined, but yet every week is defining in our eyes. They see, you'll never see, excuse me, you'll never see the, the gap any bigger than between uh, uh, inside Hallis Hall and outside Hallis Hall 
than at this point at this point of the season because we see every game this is what they are they threw 11 passes so the only that's a, they're a team that throws only 11 passes but they see it in a much bigger picture and very, everything on offense and defense very undefined first year of a, of a of an operation I don't think you can make any kind of real judgments about it. You can guess. I always say you could pan every single thing the Bears have done for the last 30 years, and you would be right 85 to 90 percent of the time. So if you <laughs> said this, if you said this is an indication this coaching staff will not make it, that this, that this uh, that this offensive coordinator will not make it, that this quarterback will not make it, the chances are you're going to be right. Okay, that's just the history of the Bears. But I, my, from what I, my experience in doing this is let's let's. Let's see things develop before we uh, jump to conclusions. Jason, Luke Getze has been an offensive coordinator for two whole games in his career. But how, like Mark said, how he goes from 11 passes one week to whatever he's going to do Sunday, that will be instructive somehow in terms of how he problem solves, won't it be? It will, but he's in a position, Patrick, like everybody else, where they need to have some results quickly. And Luke Getze needs to be presiding over an offense that's working and it's not. And I, this, this defense, there was a lot of defending of his game plan on Thursday that I objected to. And a lot of the defense of this has been, well, Hey, if, if, you know, if we throw 11 passes and we win, then great. Well, you didn't win. And he, it, yeah. it, this was a terrible idea. And this idea, uh, this, this game plan of, of running the ball 10 out of 13 times in the fourth quarter, melting away, I mean, I'm sorry, in the fourth quarter, melting away half the fourth quarter. And he's up there saying, Pat, well, hey, if we punch it in on that final play at the goal line, you know, we're having a different conversation. No, no, you're not. No. No, you're not. There's like, you're, uh, you're, still, you're still probably getting the, if everything yeah. else holds true, you're still, you're getting the ball back with a little over two minutes left and down 10. That is not, that is not a successful plan. So the, all of this talk about, and, uh, about like, well, whatever, you know, we don't care about stats. We care about winning. Well, you didn't get the stats or the winning. And then Mark, you know, he's talking about, he's defending his game plan by saying, well, you know, we didn't have a lot of plays. We had all these three and outs. We had all, all, only 42 snaps and often he's saying all this, like it's something that happened to him. Right. That it, it's not a direct result of how bad the offense that he's running is. I still say, let's see, here's here to me, here's the comparative point, uh, as it relates to, uh, previous regimes and the and the feeling that Bears fans have that oh, nothing will ever work out. When we had a similar situation on the opposite side, when uh, when Matt Nagy r- rushed seven times against against the Saints, what did he do the next week? He, he, said, he said he wasn't an idiot. That's what he did. He's, and he over, <laughs> but the point is he overcompensated. He ran 38 times against the Chargers. Not only that, but he ran like using, I think that was the I-formation game, right? It was, yes. He ran using an offense that was not going to be his offense. So he did something, he, he, he t- that was a, I always say this, that was a, a, the very, one of the very first red flags about that operation. So that's, that's why I think I'm being patient. Let's see what happens. Let's see, let's see exactly what, how he responds to this. And uh, I don't think he's going to, I think he's going to find that happy medium, but I don't think it's going to be, it's not necessarily going to be pretty, but I think this is a bigger, a much bigger process. I don't, I'm not, I respect your opinion, Jason. I just don't think I need to see immediate results. I, I think this is a much, much longer process uh, than, than a lot of fans would want. And it also, if you want to go back even further, I believe it was 2017, where Tariq Cohen was the best thing the Bears had going, and I believe he got one touch in a game. And then the next day, Dal Loggins, or the next game, Dal Loggins got him twenty, you know, overkill, you know, yeah. to the other side. I think it'll be interesting to see exactly what the Bears do. Getsy doesn't strike me, Jason, as the kind of guy who will 
throw 40 times to prove a point. Uh, and, and I still, we all believe, right, don't we, that this offense, when it's doing what it wants to do, is still a running offense with passing, not the other way around. Yeah, but I, well, I don't know if that's a good path forward for them. I don't know if that's how you win now or win later. I, obviously, it wasn't the way to win in Green Bay, but I also think it limits the, the opportunity that Justin Fields needs to fully step into that role for you to find out if he can do that role. And if he can, then you've got something. If you've got a quarterback who can win games, he can win the games. That's what you need right now. Well, it, And if you don't, then it's got to be somebody else. Yeah, and that gets back, too, to the, I think the most damning thing about um, Ryan Poles is his inability to surround fields with weapons this offseason. Because I think both things can be true, Potsy. I think you can sit there and go, the best way for the Bears to win today might be running the ball more than they throw it. But, boy, they'd be more tempted to throw it if they had somebody uh, explosive to throw it to. Correct? That is correct. Well, it's, all, it's also the concern about the offensive line. It's that you're, you know, he's not having time to find people. People are not good enough to get open other than maybe Darnell Mooney. You're using Cole Komet is supposed to be a big factor in this passing game. I see him all the time just helping out with Braxton Jones. He's an extra blocker all the time, and I know that that's part of his role. He's going to be a blocking tenant too. He's not, on pa- he's not on pass plays, though. He's only pass blocked twice and twice from the line of scrimmage all year. But on run plays, he certainly is helping. Yeah. They, they need to get him out and be, in a, and be a factor in the passing game. There's no way that this passing game is going to make sense without Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet being at the forefront of it. I think, I think what we've seen early, big picture point here, uh, is that uh, as it relates to Ryan Poles is – he can't move on from Justin Fields after this year without giving him, without having had the weapons, giving him the weapons. I think that's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tough move for him to to to, to do uh, as far as evaluating him, and that's why I think this is a a longer term. I think he has, problem. I think if he has a top five pick in in what is projected to be a really good quarterback draft, I think he sure as hell can move on from him. I I, I think he can. I, I think it's a tough argument though that that this guy failed because he was a bad quarterback. When you just like you mentioned. Right. He hasn't given them the weapons. So, I mean, yeah. this is a, to me, this is a much longer process. Yeah, I think it would make them, I think it would be, I think it would make us all feel kind of gross if they decided that, you know, if they didn't give him a chance and then moved on. But if you're yeah. the Bears. Then they set him up to fail. Yeah, but yeah. if you're the Bears, boy, yeah. I can imagine them saying, you know, what Ryan Pace said when he traded up to draft Mitch Trubisky, which is, you know, we hope to never be in this position again so high in the draft. Right. But as long as we're here, we got to go for it. Well, I'm not saying he can't do it. He certainly can do it, but it, it wouldn't. Uh, reflect well on his planning process. J- Jason, I want to ask you about uh, the the miniature drama, the tempest in a teapot. Is that the saying, Potsy? Tempest in a teapot? Um, yeah, I think that would, it's, that's uh, correct uh, usage of that uh, idiom. Okay, Justin, Justin Fields, after Sunday night's game, in the post-game press conference, was asked by uh, so a local television reporter here, essentially whether the loss hurt more because uh, Bears fans really wanted to beat the Packers. And what he said was this. It hurts more in the locker room than the fan, than Bears fans, he said, because at the end of the day, they're not putting in any work. I see the guys in the locker room every day. I see how much work they put in. A prominent sports social media entity that I will not name uh, grabbed that video and without the question, just the video of the response, put it up, and uh, aired him out, essentially. And 
Jason Fields, you know, regardless of whether you think he said anything damning, Fields was so moved by it that he uh, felt obligated to address it once. Yeah, he really, he really didn't, I don't think, say anything in this case that is really flammable. If you think back, Pat, to like 10 years ago uh, after an NBA Finals game, LeBron James said something to the effect of, hey, you guys still have to go back to your cruddy lives and be poor or whatever. That's paraphrasing. That's not what he said. But like that was mean. That was insulting. What Justin Fields said is basically to the effect of, on Sunday, to the effect of, well, you're not in the locker room. You're not, you're not the one in the weight room, right. like, bleeding and breaking your body and sweating for this. Um, I don't think that's a particularly insulting or controversial comment that he made. But, you know, it rose to the level where it bothered him so much that he wanted to talk about it. It obviously was something that, uh, that, was, that was he saw a lot on social media and even if it didn't rise to the level of the respectable media, uh, it really ate at him in a way that he felt like he needed to address it. And one of the things he said was, again, paraphrasing here, was, I want to come in here and be myself in these press conferences. I don't want to come in here and be robotic and have to think, be constantly thinking, hey, is this okay to say? Is this not okay? I just want to come in here and be myself and show my personality and engage in this. And I think he, this is problematic for everybody involved that he sees an example of, well, you, you can't trust that. You, maybe you shouldn't do that because, like, you say one thing like this that gets taken in a way that you didn't mean, and it causes you all these problems. Yeah, I think he does. I think he's aware of the fact that it took off, um, th- that it was, it was promoted by the outside media as something that had a, a, a context to it, and the people who were there didn't grab on that. Uh, but Patsy, do you think, is it good or bad that he knows what the world is saying about him? I think it's good. I mean, for one thing, it shows that uh, it's got a reality, right? I think when people say they don't know, they, they generally do. So, I mean, uh, to me, uh, it, was, it was good that he was cognizant of it. Uh, but and that's also a sign that's the world we live in today. I mean, yep. everybody hears everything, and 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 you can't really this bunker mentality really doesn't exist. Uh, um, so uh, I thought, yeah, I thought he handled it well. He did not articulate it well on Sunday. I mean, and I think he acknowledged that it was tough. He didn't want it was a tough it was a tough time to answer that question, and 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 maybe he didn't express it as well as he could have, and acknowledge that and and fix it. But as far as it being a big deal, no, it was uh, that was that was a typical that was. That was a that was a typical uh, what do you call it website whatever yeah. modern yeah. era social media. I, I will say th- I will say this: there were there were two years when he was at Ohio at Ohio State, in which Justin Fields was one of the five most popular college football players on the planet. He's done enough of these to know that what comes out of his mouth reverberates, and also to know that talk, talking about saying the word fans usually does not end well when you are an athlete. Because the only possible outcome here, outside of we love the fans, is something that fans might take issue with, particularly if they're a little pissed off after you just lost to their rival. But if we, if I thought it was so overtly offensive to fans, I would have written about it, right. and I didn't. Right. And not because I covered the Bears. I, I'm, right. more than, I'm more than uh, uh, happy to, uh, to, to uh, take a story like that when it, when it merits it, and it just didn't. If you were there, heard the context, heard the question, and heard his kind of uh, somewhat awkward response, but you knew what he meant. Uh, it wasn't. This was. It was a made up. It, it, it was a. It was. It wasn't one of those things where he said, "Oh, I shouldn't have said that." 
Right. Maybe he shouldn't have said it the way he said it. Like I said, he should have right. articulated it better. But yeah. it wasn't like it wasn't like a gaffe. It, this was not of his doing. And I and I wrote this yesterday. I think the gaffe was knowing to just not address the issue of fans at all. Um, I, I think he should know better than that. Jason, 10 years ago, coaches could tell players do not look at social media and that, that w- those were team rules and those were things that were possible. Now, Justin Fields being, what is he, 23, has never known a world without social media. And to tell him not to, uh, that he's not allowed to engage in it, it's like telling him he's not allowed to have eight glasses of water a day, right? I mean, it, is there a way to is there a way for athletes to still stay engaged with this thing that they've grown up with, without um, without it getting in their heads? Is there a way for any person to do that? I, I don't think so. It's not a healthy thing. We all know that social media is overall not a healthy thing for us mentally. Right. right. And I think. A lot of people would love to be off of it if they didn't have some kind of uh, need to do it for work. Is it a reasonable ask, though, that if your job, if you're playing 17 games over four and a half months, and if that is your job, is it a reasonable ask to sit there and be like, why don't you cool it with that for four and a half months? No, 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 it's not. He couldn't, Matt Eberflus couldn't ask his coaches to do that. Right. I mean, that just, like Mark said, that is... Absolutely, part of the fabric of the world today. Yeah, the, the lesson is not to get off social media. It's just in how to handle this thing, uh, how to handle the situation a little more eloquently. Like, for instance, a real simple thing: if he'd have just said in the middle of that answer, "I appreciate the fans' passion," but right. that that can't be. You, you'd have to edit that out to make it as incendiary as it was on that website. Yep. Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, one little simple thing like that really is all he needs to say to put a little more context in it. Uh, in his response. And so I think that's really the solution. He'll, and I think he understands. I think he knows how to handle it better because he did say this was a little bit alarming is that, you know, his option is to not say anything. He's got two choices. He <laughs> wants to be open, but in the, his, his option is just say nothing. And that's what we hate. That, that's what we fear the most is that he becomes not not only robotic, but just, you know, just keeping everything inside and not saying anything. And we definitely don't want that. He well, seemed more interested in, in handling it a better way right. than not saying anything. Well, it's, it's not just that we as reporters selfishly don't want that. It's that fans don't want that. They have an opportunity to get to know Justin Fields in a way that, I mean, look at Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack wouldn't let the world in the entire time he was here. And, you know, he may have been certain fans' favorite players, or favorite player, but nobody felt like they knew him. I think Justin Fields wants to let fans get to know him, and I think that's an important step, and I think that that's, that's wise. Uh, Jason, real quick, uh, Roquan Smith uh, did not practice uh, again on Thursday. That's two in a row. He's got a hip injury. What would it mean for the Bears if they were forced to play the Texans without their best player? Well, you've got to win this game. Right. I mean, you, you look at games that they need, and, and this is an opportunity for them to get right, I think, in a lot of ways, beyond winning against the Texans coming up and then the Giants next week. Um, two of the worst teams from last season, and I don't think either one of them has made some dramatic improvement that makes them scary for the Bears. Um, without Roquan Smith, you're worse at everything. Right. Because he does everything. He's a pass rusher. He's a coverage man. He's a run stopper. He he can do all of it. And we saw this in training camp where the next man up behind Roquan Smith, it's 
not Roquan Smith. No. It's quite it's, a climb. It's Matthew Adams, yeah. But it was most visible against Patrick Mahomes and not against any other quarterback they faced in the preseason. That's so fair. I think this is a manageable situation if he doesn't play. They, I would still expect them to not only uh, to, to be effective and win even without Roquan Smith. And he, he hasn't been so great. Uh, it, it, uh, uh, what, how did you say? Underwhelming? Yeah. He's been underwhelming. He's been good, but I think I said good, but not great. You said underwhelming. He's put up numbers, tackle numbers, whatever, uh, and a half sack, but not in the early going. Again, nothing's defined. In the early going, it's not like he's been some uh, some player that the Bears – he's given them production that they just can't replace. I, you don't feel him. Right. And he is – the kind of player that when he's playing well, you feel. Yes. And we haven't felt him at all this year. This brings us very effortlessly into our predictions for Sunday's game against the Texans at Soldier Field. Jason, I'm looking at your score prediction right now. You've got 26-10 Bears. It's all going to look right for a day. Okay. I, I think this is the worst team in the NFL, Houston. I don't think anybody is going to end up being worse than them at the end of it. Okay, we disagree. But uh, can the Bears score 26 against the worst team in the NFL? Yes. How, how does that happen? Um, some touchdowns and field goals. <laughs> it's the Houston Texans, man. This 13, is a horrible team, I think. 13 safeties. 13 okay. safeties. They, they, both, both these next two teams, the Giants and the Texans, do some things well. You realize they, the Giants haven't lost yet, right? I know. But yeah. who have they beat? Yeah, bad team. The Panthers yeah, exactly. and the – yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and they're playing the Cowboys on Monday night, and uh, I think they're favored to beat them, shockingly. But we'll see. Jason, I want to give you some numbers, though. Uh, you're familiar with DVOA, the uh, football – the football outsiders uh, way to measure the strengths of teams? Yes. Okay. The Texans this year, overall DVOA, 21. Offensive DOA, DVOA, <laughs> uh, 26. The Bears' offense is DOA, though. Did you know that? Anyway, uh, 26 in offense, 16th in defense. They're ranked ahead of the Bears in all three categories. I don't think they're bad. I actually think they're better than we think. And that might be a low bar because the Texans feel like they've been the worst team in football for 10 years. But I think the Texans win the game. I've got them 21-20. Uh, if Roquan Smith doesn't play, I think the Bears obviously are in trouble. But, Patsy, I think there's some benefit to Matt Eberflus and Allen Williams knowing the Texans from their time in the AFC South. I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of familiar a lot of familiarity that the Bears are going to play on because this is a beatable team. I mean, you can be as familiar as you want with the Packers, and that's not going to make a difference. I think this week it definitely makes a difference on both sides of the ball. Uh, never underestimate a uh, Lovey Smith team, as we know here, but the, um, you can't overestimate a Lovey Smith team. We know that as well. So uh, I have the Bears winning 20-10. to 10. I just think uh, with or without Roquan Smith, I think their defense will make a big improvement Uh uh, in performance, uh, production uh, after their game last week. And, uh, but I also know that you know, we've been doing this long enough to know that the Bears are capable of losing to anybody, especially in this situation. Yeah, and, and when you mentioned familiarity, part of that too is Justin Fields, for the first time this season, gets to face a defense that looks like the defense he plays in practice. Um, we'll see whether that has any impact on him. Uh, or not, but... Uh, That's one of those narratives that sound good on Friday, <laughs> and then we're going to be talking about it on Sunday night, about how it totally crapped out, Pat. So we'll see what happens, but it just... It, you're right. It sounds right, and this is the right... I, I think this is the right opponent. I think the Bears have played two pretty good teams 
I think two teams that will be in the playoffs Agreed. this year. And uh, the 49ers arguably are better now with Jimmy Garoppolo than they were with Trey Lance. So I think I, I, I think that probably um, factored into my pick in this game more than anything else, that you can sometimes 0-2, 2-0. You can kind of, you can, it also matters who you've played. And I think these are two of the better teams on the Bears' schedule. So I, I, I think I sense that they're going to be better in this game than they've been, even though they won, obviously, in, that, in the monsoon. Yeah, and the Texans are 0-1-1, torturing sports riders all season long who have to put in that third game. Uh, he is Mark Potash. She's Jason Leisure. I'm Patrick Finley. Thanks, as always, for listening. We will be back on Sunday night. Until then, you can follow us on the Sun-Times website, on Twitter, like, rate, and review the podcast as well. We will see you again on Sunday night. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.